No one ever at school even sort of gave me the attention and I never really got picked up on. But needless to say, it was pretty, pretty miserable. I didn't enjoy school. I didn't enjoy being a teenager because of it. Um, yeah, not feeling when you feel like worthless, you know, going to school every day and just being that bad. You know, it's, it's an awful feeling. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring and supporting entrepreneurs to make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup You, the regional partner of Virgin Startup, providing startup funding, mentoring, and support. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, who are the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup You. Welcome to this week's show, where I speak to Doug McMaster, who launched Silo, Britain's first zero-waste restaurant in 2014, and was recently rated as the third coolest restaurant by The Times. First up, though, I speak to Nick Coleman of The Snaffling Pig, recent winners of Virgin Startups Foodpreneur 2017, a competition which celebrates the UK's best new food and drink business. Back in 2010, Nick founded Medical Supermarket with his business partner, Udi Silva. Udi then bet Nick to see if they could set up another business on just £500. They eventually started The Snaffling Pig in 2014 with just the £500, selling premium pork scratching snacks in a variety of different flavours. With co-founder Andy Allen now on board, within two years they've turned over £1 million, have appeared on This Morning TV with a pork scratching advent calendar and have now secured investment from Moon Pig's Nick Jenkins on Dragon's Den. I met up with Nick to find out how you can start a business with just £500. Let's start up. I heard the story was that how Snaffling Pig got started was that it was literally two mates having a bet about whether you could start a business with £500. That's right. It seems crazy. Uh, And it probably is, actually, because 500 quid is really not a lot of money. Um, But uh, I mean, I guess to kind of put a bit of uh, meat around it, so to speak, um, we myself and my business partner started a, a medical supplies business about seven years ago. And um, we wanted to do things a little bit differently in the medical world. It's quite a boring, stagnant, very professional environment, but it it just needed a bit of um, injection in in, in improved customer service and and convenience. So we we kind of, we love the Amazon model and we wanted to create like the Amazon for healthcare. And we ran the business for about five years and it was, it's going very well. It's still still in business today, Uh, but it's, um, it kind of, it taught me a hell of a lot of lessons. And I just really, I just woke up one day and thought, you know what, I've learned all these, these lessons applied to this one business i wonder if all these lessons could be applied to a a completely different business outside of that industry and instead of doing something like a wholesaler which is basically selling other people's stuff Mm. i could build my own brand and 
people would have to come to me to be able to buy my product. I wouldn't necessarily have to compete on price or convenience. I could compete on on brand and offering something that's completely unique in the in the industry. And so to kind of you know the competitive edge in me, I uh, wanted to bet my business partner. Um, it was actually a steak dinner. Uh, and if he gave me 500 quid from the business and he took 500 quid as well, we would go and set up our own companies, come back in six months and see if they worked. Yeah. And that's kind of exactly what I did. <laughs> wow. And, and what were the what were the jobs that you you were both doing? What roles did you have um, before Snuffling Pig? Yeah, so um, so some Udi Silva, who's my my business partner in medical supermarket. Uh, so we're fifty fifty. He and I um, very much have kind of the similar skill set. We're both procurement people. We we both worked um, in retail, and we started um, working for a company called BMI Healthcare, which is a private hospital group. And that's where we met, and we actually uh, ran the procurement department. So we probably had a spend of about eighty million quid, and we we would uh, kind of our job was to try and strip out about ten percent cost savings each each year. Um, and as you do, you're round by the kind of um, coffee machine on a Monday morning, thinking, "Dear <laughs> God, why am I back at work again?" Uh, and we both realised that we both had the same aspiration to run our own business, and so that's where we went and then started medical supermarket. Um, so we, you know, we've, we're very similar. When it came to snaffling pig, I have learned that I'm not good at most things. There's only a few things that I'm quite good at. Um, <laughs> and therefore, I need to surround myself with people who are far more intelligent and far better at, at these other jobs. Yeah. So that's where um, Andy Allen comes in. So Andy um, was a university mate of mine and uh, had a particular interest in brands and especially around the digital side, but kind of more, more of just, just brands in general. And um, it's something I didn't really understand. I, I didn't. I, I kind of know why what, what people should buy and how they should buy it. I don't really know why people should buy it. Mm-hmm. And so that was what Andy has brought to the table. So the kind of the, the Andy and I are the kind of the majority shareholders in the business, and we we then set to work to create this kind of whole new wave of selling pork scratchings to uh, to the customers. And and the the obvious question begs is why pork scratchings? <laughs> why pork? I love this question because uh, you know I could stand here and say we did a hell of a lot of research and we know that the market was in growth. Well, actually. In reality, we love pork snacks. (laughs) Um, I have played darts in the pub with my dad for many years. And generally, there'll be a pint of beer and a packet of scratchings. And I just love that product. It just goes so well with beer. And I think, you know, the stars aligned with this particular brand. It was something I wanted to do a passion project. Mm -hmm. um, And I wanted to involve my mates. And, you know, first started in the kitchen thinking, yeah, let's do some, let's make pork scratching sexy again. And let's add flavorings. But actually, as we started to progress, we realized that, you know what? The popcorn industry has doubled in growth in two years because of flavouring. Yeah, um, you know, butter kissed is, is is no longer the market leader because people are coming up with new innovative ways of flavouring of popcorn. Um, craft beer is absolutely booming mm. at the moment, and it was kind of like, well, actually, there is there is no craft snack. In, and if we add flavorings, you know, the learning from the popcorn industry to a craft snack and offer something premium that complements the craft beer industry, then there could be a great opportunity. And then there's this whole piece around um, health and everyone is looking at health. And, you know, when the world zigs, you should zag. So by us looking at something that's more indulgent, actually, although people kind of turn their nose up and say, well, actually, you know, you really should be focusing on more the protein side. That's not what we're about. We're about, you know, if you're going to be good all week and then on your Friday night, you're going to go down the pub with your mates and have a beer, then you're going to want to spend the same amount of money but get something even better Mm. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do we're not trying to be an expensive product we want to just be a premium product that is the right price uh, that suits the environment that's in 
Yes, it is interesting. I've spoken to a couple of people recently in the food and drink industry, and um, like one of them's a, a dessert cafe who are now expanding to like their third one, and it is the most indulgent thing that you could you could ever see. <laughs> you know, um, your, your favourite chocolate cereals all mixed into a into a milkshake, and and also speaking to the guys from from Candy Kittens with with sweets, yeah. you know, and that's that's going great guns as well. So yeah. I, t- I totally get that. Like you say, when somebody zigs, you should you should zag. Yeah. Um, and where did the idea? So, where did the f- flavorings come from? Who who chooses the flavorings? Is that literally you guys sitting together, uh, looking at the market research, trying it out with your friends? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer that um, market research should be uh, if it doesn't sell, yeah, you don't sell it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm I'm a big believer in MVP, minimal viable product. So when we first started out, we got a big sack of of, of plain pork crackling we we went to a chef who had spent 40 50 years in this industry and he really knows pork crackling and you know, let's be honest it is a very simple product but that means there is nowhere to hide mm. so the product really has to be of the highest quality to be any different and so we, we found this chef after doing a lot of research a lot of taste samples a lot of testing which is which is a hell of a lot of fun um, <laughs> and when we we met with him we we kind of again coming back to surround yourself with people who who know their job better than you do it's, it's asking him, well, you know, you've been in this industry for so long. What, would, what do you think we should be doing? Mm. And so he was finally given the freedom to come up with some flavor combinations that actually are very simple. People, things like salt and vinegar. Um, it's it's, it's yeah. your typical, you know, probably the most popular crisp flavor out there. But no one had ever added it to port scratching before. <laughs> um, so we, we took your typical crisp flavorings. About 80% of all crisps that are sold are like the, your standard ready salted cheese and onions, salt and vinegar, and then some kind of meat variant. So we kind of took those. We see if we saw if they work with pork. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Um, and then we just started to look at other flavorings out there. So you know, what, what does go with pork? I mean, apple, but we haven't actually done an apple variant yet because it's very difficult to kind of get that combination correct. Really? Okay. Does, yeah, yeah it, it, okay. it doesn't quite work because hmm. at the moment it, it's a dry seasoning that we add to our product. So we we're able to find a maple variant of dry seasoning, which does work really well. And people kind of you know remember the you know, bacon and maple syrup. That's a really good combination. Actually, that one has two great t- uh, two stars in the Great Taste Awards this year, awesome. uh, which we were phenomenally excited about. Hmm. Um, and I mean, the, the big the big issue we've got is we do, we do not want to become like another jelly bean where we just we do a hundred different variants yeah. and it's just skew overload and you just can't manage it. Mm. We've got about eleven at the moment, and that that is a lot. And I think what we need to do is is kind of do like what cream egg do is we introduce a flavour for a limited time, yeah, and then we pull it off the shelf, and then it kind of creates that demand, that excitement, and then we can use that when we start to launch it again um so we do that with pigs in blankets which is a uh, very odd it is a uh, sausage flavored bacon seasoned <laughs> scratching um but it does it does really really work it's it's beautiful and how did the um the tie up with your with, with your namesakes actually with coleman's uh, <laughs> come about <laughs> oh, that, that, that was great i think you know we we always andy and i've always wanted to work with brands that we that complement us that we're inspired by and that there's a win-win and compliments and, and coleman's is exactly one of those situations where they are a wonderful brand they've you know incredibly british mm. been around for the donkey's years 
Uh, but they just needed a, a bit of an injection. And they're always in the condiment aisle. They're rarely seen outside of that. And so when we approached Unilever uh, about 18 months ago, we kind of went to them saying, look, you know, here's a brand of yours that, that has that's doing very well, but it, it, it could do with a shot in the arm. And that's why, why we're here. And yes, we're a small brand, but we can get you to places that people would never expect to see Coleman's, you know, the back of the bar in an advent calendar yeah. in John Lewis, yeah. uh, all those kind of places that, that, that Coleman's would obviously, you know, cry out for. Um, and, and it's a win-win for them, you know, and, and it's, and I think people get put off by speaking to like the Goliaths of the world, like Unilever and Procter and Gamble, but actually, you know, these guys, they have incredible distribution, but sometimes they need help with innovation. They just, they aren't able to move in ways that the small guy can do it. And that's where kind of that kind of joint venture partnership really helps each other out. And was was that really because I, I love reading about how you, you're, uh, you you talk about this when you said you know it, you just got to ask because I've, yeah. I've you know so many breakthroughs from people I speak to is literally just picking up the phone or, or sending that email instead of just dismissing it out of hand as a preposterous idea because you just don't know who's open to suggestion. You're, you're right, and I think you know so many people get put off by by that initial phone call, and you do just have to ask. And I am forever meeting people for coffees with no agenda whatsoever mm. other than just to meet people and, and learn about them and i have never in my life been to a meeting and not learned something even if it's the worst meeting even if yeah. you know i've been to many meetings where the buyer doesn't even turn up and i've just sat there and i've learned each time because i've learned to myself <laughs> i've taught myself right make sure I, I contact the buyer the day before or make sure yeah. um, I do this or make sure that I have other meetings in the diary so that if this does go wrong, I'm not, it's not a completely wasted trip. Mm. And, 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 he, and then when you have some really good conversations that just came out of nowhere, um, they can potentially change the whole way you, you, you focus your business. And, you know, you can suddenly introduce a brand new line all because one person said, wouldn't that be a good idea? Yeah. Um, so it's, I just think it's so important just to meet, you know, have a coffee with as many people as you can, as often as you can, just to try and learn about yourself and, and business in general. And I suppose the question is, what, what was holding you back from, from not doing this before? Uh, I think it's always got to be a right, right place and the right time. Mm. Um, I, I think I, I really admire founders of businesses who do it on their own. And I think it must be really tough. And I think you have to find the right partnership in, in, in someone else to, 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 do, to go along the journey with you. It's, you know, people say business um, relationships are almost like marriage. You know, you kind of have to work at it. You have to find the right partner. You have to work at it. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I'm very lucky with Andy and with Udi that they, they complement my skill sets. Um, and we have the ability to, to move with pace. We understand each other. We understand what each other's good at. And we trust each other. I think it's just, I think if I, if I tried a business years and years, my first business was seven years ago, but if I'd done one 15 years ago, I I might not be where I am today. Yeah. But I think now I'm, now I'm where I am. I think it's really important. I continue to push myself and I don't get, you know, I don't fall back on what I know. I I need to continually scare myself every day Mm. and and do something that that does challenge me. But I absolutely believe that if you're going to start a business, you have to start it for passion, not for money. And, and I think with medical supermarket, I may have started that thinking that I was going to be a multi-billionaire in the next Richard Branson. Right? Mm. That's, that's just not, not right. Because then your, your entire strategy of how you build your business is focused on how can I make money. Yeah. Whereas with, with Snaffling Pig, it was built around, let's have some fun. Let's, let's build something that we're proud of so that when we're down the pub, uh, pub with our mates, 
they actually want to talk about what we do for a living rather than avoid the subject entirely. <laughs> and, and, it, and that's what happens. And now we just, we live and breathe the brand and we, we love it. And we, all the decisions we make are not based on money, are based on the, the longevity of the brand and where we can take it in the future. Because we want to make sure this brand is here for, for longer than we are around. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and do you still have any involvement with, with the previous business that you set up, the medical? Uh, I, I don't on a day-to-day basis. I, I'm still a, a shareholder of that business, but my, my business partner, Udi, he runs that business, does a very good job at it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think yeah, we both realized that I, I'm good at the startup phase. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily, I'm not the guy who's uh, kind of going to run it um, thereafter. So mm. yeah, kind of, yeah, it's, comes back to know your strengths really yeah it's funny i was, I was chatting to uh jeff lynn co-founder of seed as the uh crowdfunding yeah. platform and um he, he was saying that he's just stepping down after five years of of being ceo now because he's he's realized that he's actually really good at the startup stuff and yeah. instead they've got somebody who's taken them a year to get but get somebody to take on that role who's already grown it from a what do you say they've had 230 millions been invested in that platform in five wow. years but to take it to a billion dollar platform and to only do that you have to get someone who's already taken something yeah. to a billion dollars so um yeah p- p- pretty amazing story um and and at what point um did you guys realize um that you could turn this from a a a passion project into something that could be a full-time full-time gig and something that you know that could, well, I, could have I legacy yeah i love that question because it just it reminds there's a specific moment um when, when it happened and it was it was pretty much right in the very beginning andy and i spent about four and a half hours in my kitchen uh taking the the product that had already been cooked adding seasoning to it packaging it in lovely formats uh we were stamping the bags we were putting the ingredients on the on the bag we were weighing the bags and we had this really nice little production line um set up and yeah about four hours of of kind of hard labor (laughs) and i I take the box i walk outside i go to my local pub and i sell the box instantly um and it was like hang on i've just we just spent two of us just spent four hours making this and we've sold it in a matter of minutes i was almost frustrated and annoyed that i sold <laughs> them because it was like all yeah. their hard work they were just gone i don't have the opportunity to talk to anyone i've just sold it on the first order uh and <laughs> so we went back to the kitchen and we made we, we then sat up for another few more hours making more product and yep next day uh, first public hit I, I sold it again so we definitely straight away we saw there was a there was a massive opportunity and did it wasn't, you, I think, about a year later, I think, that we then decided, you know, it took us about a year of, of working right. um, alongside the brand to, to then go full time on it. Okay. And, and how did you go about um, scaling that business? Because as I understood it, it was entirely self-funded to start with. And then at some point, you must have come to the conclusion that you need some investment or some, um, uh, some mentoring, possibly, to, yep. to take it to another level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we... Um, I mean, how, how we scaled it. So because of my, my other business, I already had a lot, lot of resource available to us. So mm-hmm. we had cash flow, we had people, we had warehousing, we had IT infrastructure. So we, we kind of mirrored the setup that I had in my other business, right. um, which meant that we were able to order a few grand of stock straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to utilize the, um, the finance department in my other business, the warehousing department as well. The sales is something I just took on myself. Uh, Andy focused his attention on the, the website and the brand and making sure that it looked and was appealing. Mm. And um, it was when we started, we got into positive cash flow very quickly. We made sure that we were paying for products 
be after we were paid for them um, by our customer. Yep. So we then just used that money to continue to invest in the business. Uh, we didn't take a salary for, for age, about two years uh, and just kept pumping it all in, into the business. Um, and it was uh, it was kind of around, I think we, we you know, um, the initial seed injection was 500 quid, which we basically spent on a logo. Um, and then we, <laughs> we both had to then put in uh, about 11 grand um, seed investment into, into the business. So together we put in 11 grand into the business to get it going. Um, and then it was, we, we didn't actually employ our first person until about a year, year, a year later. Uh, who was predominantly telephone account management admin to yeah. try and take a bit of the obviously the um, workload off off me so I can focus more on the sales. Um, but yeah, and then then we just as we're looking at kind of forecasts and things, we thought right, we do need some cash. But there are so many you know, innovative ways of doing it. Crowdfunding, obviously, just just one of those. And we just wanted to do something that scared us. And we just thought, <laughs> let's do Dragon's Den. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. I'll learn loads. Uh, and um, we, we just thought, let's, let's do it. So, so I applied for Dragon's Den. And um, Andy built this you know, fantastic pitch. And we, we decided that you know, in that kind of environment, yes, you're not going to get the, the true valuation of your business. You can get some you know, amazing valuations when you crowdfund. Dragon's Den, not so much. Yeah, but you do get the opportunity. You do get a platform to get in front of you know three million odd people, and that what we hoped would would be the springboard to allow us to open up some doors that we couldn't have done if we'd just gone down the regular crowdfunding route or the bank loan route. Mm. And you got uh, investment from Nick Jenkins. Uh, we did from Moonpig. Um, yeah. And how did that? How did it pan out in the end? Was it a uh, period of due diligence and then you agree on the, the percentage? Um... That's right. There was there was a lot of due diligence happened right. before we actually went on, on TV. The BBC were kind of very detailed in that. And and so that actually was a great learning for us because it, we, we, we started to understand more about our business as we're going through the due diligence process, you know, the, the yeah. profitability of our customer base. And we had to prove that things actually existed. So, you know, when people go and drag us in, they say, oh, I've got an order from Tesco. <laughs> Do they? Do they actually have one or is it a letter of intent? Or what is it? And yeah. so we had to prove all these things that, that made us reevaluate kind of where is our business right now and, and where should it be focused on? And then when we were fortunate enough to kind of get the investment on the show, then Nick and, and he's got a very small team, um, Nick has, but he, Nick and his, his kind of investment director then went through their own due diligence to make sure we were, we, we, everything we said was, was accurate. Mm. We actually, you know, we flew through that process um, because we were very, we were very open and honest. Um, and so we signed on the dotted line probably about two months after uh, we were on, uh, we actually did the filming, which was about probably about a month before we went on air. And um, that was when we, we then started to f- worry about the kind of the upscaling and getting ready for the, the actual TV program. So mm. many people tell us, you know, that their websites crash when when it goes on TV and, and it does happen. But we use a platform, Spotify, Spotify Shopify, yeah. uh, which which is, yeah, can handle hundreds of thousands of, of visitors. So that was no problem at all. But our actual operational capability in terms of picking and packing, that's what we needed to upscale. Right. So we very quickly then moved our warehouse to a, another location that Nick Nick um, had a lease on uh, and then kind of yeah, grown it from there. Oh, okay. So so quite quickly you, you, you had that that payback literally from that from that investment and the connections and the context. We we did. I mean, the thing about you know, Nick's money is we, we wanted to take that seventy grand and invest invest it in marketing and PR. Mm. And actually, in reality, what happens is we just spent it on stock, 
to make sure that we had enough stock for the for the Dragon's Den show. Yeah. Um, and we 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 kind of we got the we got the forecasting wrong. We thought we would grow ten times. Uh, in reality, we actually grew three times. Right. So we we did have a lot of stock sitting on the shelf, and there was there was an actual fear of oh. You know, we're going to have spent Nick's money here on stock that we're now going to have to throw away. This, mm. this is terrible. Mm. Uh, but what we did, and this is this is you know where you know Andy's understanding of, of of why people should buy from us. You know, Andy was like, let's just be honest with our customers. Let's send out a Facebook message and say, look, you know, we need to this. We we got it wrong. We we bought a bit too much stock. Um, so therefore, we're going to put a little offer on the website today. And um, if you if you want to buy it, buy it. And in 24 hours we cleared the stock it no was, way. It was really? just brilliant and it was the wow. customers they really got behind us and they they were like yeah sure I, you know everyone gets it right and what we learned from that is as soon as something isn't going our way or that we've done something that we shouldn't have done that we just felt it's be really open and honest with our customers and yeah. say so, and we do that and it, and, it, and it pays dividends for us <laughs> literally pays yeah. dividends for us well yeah what i loved was you know going on your, your your website and you've you've got those videos talking about the the process and yeah. being completely open and like you say putting your hands up when things are going well when things aren't going so well so you so you've, you've got that consistency and um i recommend anyone to go to the website and, and and watch that video because it's it's hilarious when you both talk <laughs> about the the social media and you know people yeah. hiding behind you know you know tweets and, and putting it out yeah. there and, and you two reading them out i mean i don't know if you can remember <laughs> off the top of your head so i'll redirect people to the website but it's just hilarious what people put out yeah, there there was i mean we, we got slagged off a little bit a few few rude words thrown around um but you know that, that's part of in when you're in the kind of spotlight that that's, that's kind of what happens i think when we started the brand we didn't want to be the faces of it we wanted to build a brand that that, <laughs> that, that it was you know i think everyone some a lot of people want to put their ego on the front of the packet you know yeah. that's not what we're about we want yeah. people to really believe in the brand and it doesn't matter about us but actually when you go through dragons then you suddenly are thrown into that that, that spotlight and so what we've, we've just been careful to do is make sure that it isn't always about us, but we are the founders and, and therefore, you know, we, we have to be open and honest with people. But it is, you know, the brand will always come first. Yeah. And um, before the Dragon's Den, I, I believe timeline wise, um, it took me through the idea that you guys had for, for an advent calendar and that ended oh. up getting picked up by itv uh, this morning <laughs> it show did. It did. i'm so proud of this thing so i mean basically two years ago uh or three years ago i um me and my wife we bought a little puppy and uh, a year ago uh, two years ago um i i come home one day and my wife has bought an advent calendar for my puppy that is sitting on the mantelpiece this, this is probably beginning of november mm-hmm. and it's um by a wonderful brand called lily's kitchen and I just love it. I think it's just brilliant because there is a brand that's going to sit on my mantelpiece for basically two months. Two months, yeah. And every time I open it, my little puppy's got, tail's going to wag and I'm, I'm just going to find this hilarious. And then I just <laughs> sat there and I just thought to myself, you know what, why can't we do something like that? What, surely a port scratching can sit on a mantelpiece for a couple of months. And then I just kept thinking about Noddy Holder and how that, you know, he released his Christmas song, whatever it was, 30 years ago. And every year he's making a cool half a million quid yeah. uh, for, for, not, for not really not doing a huge amount. And I just thought, is there an opportunity for Ports for us as a brand to release a product that people feel so passionate about that they want to buy time and time again, that we can just excite and engage and just blow people's expectations away? And so we just thought, let's do it. Let's do an advent calendar. Mm. And it is, you know, it is so complicated to do. It might look simple, really, but it is really complicated because you've you basically got twenty four interactions with your customer 
over a, over a month, you know, a period of, a period of month. Mm. The shelf life on a product is already quite tight, which means that we have to make sure that, you know, even if that customer has 23 amazing experiences with our brand, but on the 24th day, it's yeah. a little bit, it's gone off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole thing is ruined. That's right. And so we have to get that completely right. Um, and then the complexity of packing it as well, we decided we'd add a little extra, <laughs> make it even harder by adding mixed flavors in there. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we, we took a punt and we, we made 12,500 last year and um, it was selling really well. And suddenly it just appeared on ITV this morning and we had no idea. And uh, we actually took the advent calendar off um, <laughs> off the site about an hour before it went telly because we um, we were having some slight production issues. Right. And we suddenly, one of our customers texts, um, emails Andy and just says, oh my God, you were on IT this morning right now. And wow. Andy quickly puts it back online. And within a couple of hours, we sold 6,000. Wow. Um, which, is a, which was a wonderful problem to have, but it caused, it caused a huge backlog because 6,000 orders for us is a, is a lot of orders. Yeah. And we, we, we weren't prepared for it. So we, we did have a lot of, I would say, frustrated customers, but we communicated to them. So there were people who were disappointed that they didn't get their advent calendar within three days. But we just kept saying, look, you will get it before December starts. Do not worry, but just please bear with us. And um, we sent that email out about 6,000 times. Yeah. And we just worked. We put the hours in. We got the staff in. Um. And we, yeah, we, we got them all out and, and we had phenomenal feedback. We had wonderful videos of granddads opening it up wow. and uh, it was just brilliant. So we've, we've really gone for it this year. Um, we've, we've, we've made even more. We got it listed with Debenhams and John Lewis oh, awesome. uh, as well, yeah. which, was, which was great. And uh, again, we're just, you know, we're, we're taking the scratching to places it's never been before. We just think that, you know, the market is already fiercely competitive. There's mm. lots of people playing in the pub and shop world but yeah. no one is playing in the advent calendar world in the port scratching market. So let's do that because that's not going to hurt anyone. It's only going to benefit the category uh, and, and get people more engaged with the brand and with the, with the product. And do you think that's y- yourself and, and Andy literally reinventing the pork scratching for, for the 21st century market or looking at other markets that are bigger than the, the pork scratching market itself? Yeah, I think we, we, we are learning a lot in the port scratching world. Um, and there is, but there are so many places you can take it. So um, Andy and I are you know, very passionate about business. And myself, I'm really passionate about getting young people involved in business. So I, I, there's, there's more I want to be doing to kind of in, that, in that area. But if you're just looking at port scratchings, it, people have only ever seen it in a, in a clear plastic bag in the pub. Yeah. We have just released a, a port crumb because we believe that um, the product can be added to so many food types. You know, you're talking pork loins, burger toppings, salads. Cool, uh, yeah. yeah the, the, the list is endless. So we've got this pork crumb that's out. Uh, we've got a recipe book that we're launching at the beginning of November because we just think that you know a pork scratching book just sounds just brilliant. Uh, and, and we <laughs> think that we can inspire people to add this product to so many other of their kind of everyday meals. Um, there is a trend at the moment about ketone diets and you know, adding protein to, to foods. Um, it's not something that we're going to be pushing, but there, you know, we, we think there's no reason why we can't just kind of tail on the back of that, yeah. that as well. Um, and yeah, there, there's just there's so many places you can take it, but the category is only 40 million um, uh, and he has a, a total spend of 40 million quid. Um, it is growing about 30% year on year. So. So, you know, if we were lucky enough to get 10% of that, 4 million quid, is that really going to excite us? No. So we have to make sure that we take the product to other categories like the gifting market that's worth about 20 billion. 
or yeah. we then expand the range outside of scratchings into other meat products or other non-meat products but kind of the list is endless really of where we can take it i was going to say it's kind of choosing which of the um the more opportune opportunities that, that present themselves because you could go crazy with trying to trying a million different yeah. things at once you can i think that's what i'm i'm bad at that sometimes you know you kind of lose a bit of focus because you're doing yeah. so many different things so yeah that's why again surround yourself with people who like to hone you in and yeah especially <laughs> the financial accountants and you know nick jenkins he's great you know just mm. he's like no nick stick to what stick to what you're good at grow your brand in the uk yeah then when it's cemented in the uk then try export but don't try and do export and the uk at the same time because you just you're just not gonna be able to do either of them any good and how much interaction have you, uh, have you guys had with nick since um since the due diligence was completed Mm, good. yeah nick, nick's been great i mean we're probably on the phone probably one at least once a day um wow really uh, yeah 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 that's amazing really wow it's brilliant he, he's so yeah. involved he, he um he you know he has a lot of experience in the in the online digital world and and, and that's kind of a you know a lot of where, where our customer base is at the moment uh and so and, and nick is also he's adding a, a wonderful dynamic when it comes to like the financial management of the business making sure that we are uh, a sustainable um stable business and mm. we're not just all about the top line that we are you know making sure that we're growing it for the future and and, and make giving our, our staff and our supply base and our customers the security of you know the actual business as well so it, it's, a, it's a great it's a great team dynamic at the moment with nick yeah really enjoying it awesome and um i noticed the um i'm assuming it's trying to trying to build that community as well as that that swine dining club how, how long has that been out there for <laughs> we, we love that we've got about i think about twenty five thousand members of our swine dining club that, wow. that have a have a brilliant open rate on our, our email campaigns mm. and, and and that comes down to the fact that we we only communicate when we've got something to say we are not one of these brands who will bombard you on a friday afternoon of pictures of coffees and cats <laughs> and wishing everyone a great bank holiday yeah we will only talk to our customers when there is something very poignant to say which means that when we do say something our customers do want to listen to us uh and and that's been something that, you know andy has really driven at the heart of, what, of, of how we communicate to our customers so the swine dining club is is based around a subscription model you can you can sign up for a six month a, a monthly or an, or an annual um uh, pork scratching um subscription uh it comes with other products like beers and things uh and then you can just join our our kind of membership as well where you get access to other offers uh products uh, new launches and hopefully you know as we start to grow there'll be kind of more physical events that we put on that those members can also be a part of uh, i don't see why you know we couldn't we couldn't start doing that as well but it's just like you said too many things on the go <laughs> right now that we don't quite know what we're what we're going to focus on <laughs> yeah yeah but um things are obviously going well you recently won the um virgin foodpreneur of the year uh for best food and drink business in the uk thank you we did. We were so excited to get that because the, the, the guys we're up against are just brilliant. There's some fantastic brands, food brands out there at the moment. And I'm so excited because uh, yeah, 10 years ago, it was really tough for little food brands to compete with the big guys. Mm. But now there's so much there's so much happening in the market in terms of you know customer perceptions of food brands and, and the way we go out and sell and the way we raise money. It's, it just means that all these little artists and brands are really kind of coming to the forefront. And uh, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. There's a, there's a particular brand we came across, Love Corn. I really think that they're going to be going places. Uh, uh, I've got them booked in, funnily enough. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely cool. brilliant guy. And um, yeah, wonderful product. So very excited. And you met uh, um, 
Jimmy, Jim Cregan. We did. I'm a bit of a fanboy of Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I, um, I love what he's doing. I love, I lo- he, he is the, he just, he sums up his brand. You know, he walks into a room and he looks like Jimmy. He, he is, um, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's something yeah. like, you know, we, we just can't pull that kind of stuff off. We, we're not like that. But he, he's great. Yeah. And he's got, got a wonderful product as well. Yeah. No, yeah, I met Levi Roots as well. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> I saw that one of the other judges. How, how was he? He's great. Again, he lives and breathes brand. He, he is he is Levi Roots Reggae Sauce. So, yeah. Uh, it was it was great to get feedback from these guys. I mean, Jimmy, you know, he, I I I was waiting for his feedback with bated breath, and and his 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 feedback to us was how you know how can I invest? And it was just like oh, really? Wow. To get it from cool. Him. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, we've had Jimmy. Uh, funnily enough, when we started doing events down um, for Virgin Startup down here in Dorset, Jimmy invited us over to um, to his place yeah. to do to do the first one, and then we were able to return the favour last month. And um, he came and did a talk um, at our new offices in town, um, which we oh, sold brilliant. out. You know, it was um, it was a great oh, gig, and and he's brilliant. He literally just hung around afterwards for ages, selfies with everybody, <laughs> bits of advice people asking. Um, so um, I bet he bought a cool box as well. Box oh, of, of course, of course, <laughs> yeah. With stickers, lanyards, the lot for yeah. everybody. So went down a storm. But uh, I see yourself. One of the things you said is that you'd, you'd like to to look at mentoring and, and investing yourself in startups at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I live in Buckinghamshire, and about three years ago, I started um, working with uh, Buckinghamshire Council on um, employability and skills. And, and particularly focusing on secondary schools and helping them get um, more understanding of, of kind of the skills that you need in business. Mm-hmm. And it's really simple stuff, like just, just interpersonal skills, you know, what to wear for interviews, how to, how to hold yourself and how to, how to um, the, you know, be inquisitive and listen. And it's teaching kids skills that they, they wouldn't necessarily get. And because I think it's really important, you know, these are the guys, this is the future of, 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 of the entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, of my customer base. And I want to make sure they've, they've got the right skill sets to, to help take them forward. So loads of amazing takeaways from that interview with Nick. A couple I'd just like to touch on. Um, First one being taking learnings from one industry and trying them in a completely different industry. So in Nick's example, looking at the popcorn industry, looking at the craft ale industry and looking um, how they've been completely disrupted by by smaller players coming into um, already established markets and, and taking those learnings and in his case, implementing them in the uh, pork scratching market uh, and also you know taking those learnings in, in into new markets so going into the the gift market which is far bigger than the pork scratching market um, secondly want to love when the world's zigging you should zag so everybody rushing in and, and doing one particular thing be that opening a gazillion different coffee shops uh, or a gazillion different smoothie or juice bars then go and do the complete opposite um, and the third one, um, I think number of different ones you could do, but for me, don't be afraid to ask what's the worst thing that could happen to you. They could say no. Um, and if you don't ask, you don't get. So Nick approaching Coleman's mustard owned by Unilever, huge blue chip multinational firm, uh, and asking them for, for a joint venture and having fantastic results for both companies, um, as the outcome. Waste is a failure of the imagination, says Doug McMaster. Doug launched Silo, Britain's first zero-waste restaurant, in 2014 after a crowdfunding campaign. 
diners initially sat on packing crates, drank cocktails from jam jars and ate from plates made of recycled plastic shopping bags. A year later, the Times named it the third coolest restaurant in Britain. In the second part of today's show, I speak to Doug about how he dropped out of school at 16, overcoming both undiagnosed dyslexia and a lack of education, to begin a food pilgrimage that culminated in him launching Silo in Brighton. Doug starts by telling me how he overcame all these obstacles as a teenager. Well, I was uh, I was 16, and um, I was um, from a little town called Retford, and um, and uh, yeah, I um, was was sort of uh, I didn't know it, and no one told me, but I'm. You know, really dyslexic. Right. Um, how that was never picked up in school is 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 kind of baffling. Mm. Um, I was always bad at um, at maths, like horrendously. Um, I think the term is dyscalculia. Um, yeah, whatever. Just <laughs> I'm not very good at maths. And uh, and then when I'm reading a page, uh, it's all so jumbled. But somehow it, it took me to self-determine that when in my 20s wow <laughs> you know? really yeah i mean it was wow. weird that you know i yeah no one ever at school even sort of gave me the attention and I never really got picked up on but mm. needless to say it was pretty pretty miserable i didn't enjoy school i didn't enjoy being a teenager because of it um yeah not feeling when you feel like worthless, you know, going to school every day and just being that bad, you know, it's, it's an awful feeling. Mm. Um, but then when I was 16, um, I sort of, yeah, dropped out of course. And then sort of found, uh, I wouldn't say solitude in a kitchen, but, um, <laughs> certainly some kind of, um, uh, freedom, um, within, within the realm of a kitchen and I mean, and kitchens are pretty aggressive, pretty brutal. Um, but there was a different kind of, uh, dynamic, you know, where you could express yourself, um, unlike, you know, in this sort of factory school. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's sort of how it, how it happened really. Yeah. And did you have any ideas of what you wanted to do whilst you're in school? Like obviously, I'm, I'm assuming at the time and, and feeling like that, you were thinking you just wanted to leave, but were there any ideas in your head that you wanted to pursue at the, that, that age as a teenager? Certainly not cooking. Wow, really? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was always, I've always had a fierce imagination. Um, yeah, and I've always dreamt of, you know, ridiculous uh, ideas which i think to my benefit um yeah. and yeah had all sorts of ideas really but um certainly not cooking um but then yeah it just sort of i wanted to be all the things that i couldn't be yeah. uh, because of a lack of education i guess um so so yeah i remember uh, you know doing uh i remember you know just not being very good at anything and i remember doing an iq test and getting like horrendously low like really really bad iq and i thought oh, i'm really genuinely so stupid mm. and something i've been thinking about recently a lot and people say to me you know these days oh you, you quite you know you, you know a bit don't you and i'm like well, I, I suppose um but i really believe in 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 you know, when you love something, when you find something that you love so much, then you're going to learn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, 
sure. so easy to learn when you love something. Mm. I think that goes such a long way, you know. And at school, I probably was so dumb because I was learning something that I hated, yeah. you know. Um, Whereas it's your passion, you're seeking it out, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I did an IQ test recently. I did quite well. Did you? Wow. <laughs> it's the show, isn't it? Like, yeah, Because yeah. I found something that I loved, yeah. I think. And did you ever have anything? I was just talking about this over the weekend. My best friend was, was back in the country and we were talking about it because my, my wife was saying, very similar to yourself, that which, which I never knew till she said this over dinner, that she was made to feel worthless at school and she was told by a teacher that you will amount to absolutely nothing. You will do nothing with your life. And I was yeah, like, same. my God, what does that make you feel like as a kid? You know? I, know, I know, I know. And it stays with you. It really does. And, you know, I definitely had, in the beginning of my career, I definitely had like a real chip on my shoulder. And, yeah. you know, maybe I still do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not a bad thing, I think, is it? If, if that drives you and in, you in channel it into doing something as, as amazingly creative as what you're, you're doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how did you pick the industry that you're in then? Did it, um, was there a calling? Was there somebody that you came across that, that got you into it and you, you started from the bottom and, and worked your way right up to being a, a restaurant owner? Um, so I think uh, uh, multi multiple things. Uh, I fell into cooking because it was it was a pot wash job that was that would take me. You know that was sort of I knew of a local restaurant that you know would have took me as a pot wash, and they did. Um, so yeah, that just happened. And then I I think yeah I had something. I really had something to prove. I was um, wanting to if I was going to do it, I needed to do it really well mm. because. I felt, you know, I just had to push. <laughs> um, and then, but no, along the way, I've, I've, I've been so fortunate to work for brilliant people. Um, you know, some of them were tough. Well, most of them were like really tough mm. and, and difficult, but um, brilliant. And I've had, yeah, lots of brilliant mentors and people that are just remarkable, inspirational people that have motivated me in, in different directions. And it's sort of created a, a unique, you know, I have quite a unique skill set. Um, I worked at St. John and St. John had this, uh, this ethos of, you know, nose to tail cookery and they were known. I mean, St. John is known as one, the, the British restaurant. It's the restaurant that there's nowhere else more British than St. John in a sort of gastronomic sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sort of absorbed this sort of high concept through them and that it's totally unique. Um, and that sort of blew the doors open for me. It was like, wow, food can be anything. You know, I sort of stuck for years in this contrived sort of classic French cooking where everything sort of marched in the same direction. And then all of a sudden St. John was like, no, 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 that doesn't really make sense. It makes sense sort of, but what about this and this and that? And I, and, you know, so they kind of questioned these things and then acted upon a sort of uh, what, what they felt was a solution um so in the 90s it was height of very pretentious you know uh, cooking like and you know it was it was all well and good but um times change and i don't know it's not for everyone to to you know have um all of this fluff all over your plate and mm. just you know it's just unnecessary 
food doesn't have to be um, all those things to be beautiful. It can be it can be beautiful in other ways, and that's sort of what St. John had done. And I don't know, for me, it really stimulated a, a way of thinking. Um, so I was super lucky to do that. And then, you know, various other people along the way, such as a guy called Joost Backer, a Dutch Australian guy. He was he moved to Australia when he was seven. Um, and uh, he was an artist and designer and uh, like uh, generations of, um, you know, his family had always had farms and grew food um, for themselves to eat. And it was deeply ingrained in his culture to, um, you know, grow organic food and freshly mill flour and roll oats and churn butter and this kind of primitive uh, idea of cooking. Um, so he had a very unique um he was a very unique person and brilliant. You know, he was totally um, renowned uh, across Australia as one of the greatest artists and just brilliant people. Um, everyone knew him. And so with what he did came a lot of gravity to his ideas. And I managed to be part of that. And he looked to me and he, he appreciated me and gave me a huge opportunity to lead his projects as the chef and you know the things I learned under him was remarkable and that is certainly defined silo and my ideas so you know I'm really very fortunate to work um, yeah that shifted me in this particular direction and, and did that take you out to Australia in the first place or what, what made you no, actually, no. Um, so it was uh, the this sort of experience at St. John. Um, I had kind of, at that point, um, loved, found a love of um, uh, sort of, I don't know, like a strong identity or it's more so like, you know, somebody that's just like stood for what they believe in. Um, and I, I kind of thought to myself, I wonder what other restaurants out there like uh, are expressing a, a bigger idea mm-hmm. through a restaurant. And so many people say, oh, it's just food. It's, <laughs> stop taking it so seriously. It's just food. And I think that's such a silly thing to say. I yeah. think, you know, if, if there's an idea, it can be expressed, you know, um, in any way that... Fit and to say that there's nothing that needs changing within the food industry is 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 silly. So to say that you can't make change through food through a restaurant is, um, you know, it's not the case. So so I you know I, not that I was trying to be an activist back when I was in London at St John um, all those years ago, um, but I I found I don't know just a love of of. of of, of, of expression through food. Um, so I sort of looked looked around the globe. There was the top 50 restaurants in the world, the list that became quite big, you know, then 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sort of fascinated by reading through and like, you know, looking across the world and seeing these restaurants doing these mad things. <laughs> and some of them was just interesting, not, you know, I don't actually want to go there. Some of them, like, I never particularly, personally, was into like the molecular gastronomy movement. Yeah, um, it never really did much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but shortly after, this kind of naturalist movement kind of erupted. Um, so Scandinavia um, was is the famous yeah. sort of region 
um, for kind of popularizing that and that was my f- sort of first port of call and, and basically I decided to go on a, on a sort of food pilgrimage I wanted to like travel around and um, go to all the places that I really believed in to kind of to not to not steal the recipes not to sort of polish my CV but to just sort of absorb what they're doing and mm. be part of that mechanism for a day a week a month whatever it took to really you know understand what was making them tick yeah Um, so yeah i went on this sort of food pilgrimage and spent a lot of time in scandinavia and then yeah years and years later found myself in australia wow so it's you got your education in another way really by being proactive and and getting out there and, and seeking it yeah, and, and, and loving what I was doing, loving, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, this is one of these romantic stories that just sounds very cool, <laughs> but it's not. Like, it's, it's, a, it's one of the, the most uh, anxiety, anxious um, things in the world to go into a new kitchen. Kitchens, first and foremost, are aggressive environments. Um, and, you know, when you go in there, like knowing nothing, and trying to make yourself useful for a very short amount of time with a whole kind of brigade of pirates that don't <laughs> care about you and just kind of want to sort of shun you out of the way. Mm. It's fun. It's not fun at all. Um, but, you know, a little bit of perseverance and I sort of made it through. And it did become a bit easier as, you know, as I kind of got used to it. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, sort of... Uh, sort of educated myself. But it's a different kind of education. Like I say, I wasn't like learning... I don't know, times and temperatures. I wasn't learning recipes. I wasn't learning even techniques because I wasn't there long enough to learn techniques. Maybe a couple of little ones, but Mm. I don't know. And I'm a great believer in perspective. Uh, It sounds like a really sort of vague statement, but I, I think it's highly underrated. And if you think about, I don't know, each of those kitchens as a jigsaw piece, and the more pieces I had, the greater the image that I saw, mm. you know, whole industry. And that's for me, that's perspective. And, and that is simply what I, I, I put my, if, if silo has been successful and I've been successful with it, I put it down to that because I've, I've basically looked at a bigger picture and reacted upon it. You know, I've sort of had all of this perspective, you know, from going around the world and doing all these things. And I've seen a sort of a, you know, and, and in my particular case, the bigger picture for me was how unsustainable restaurants were. Yeah. Not unsustainable, but unethical. Mm. Uh, um, how uh, wasteful, um, you know, and I don't know, there's all these things that are wrong and right with the restaurant, and I've sort of seen a lot of it, a lot, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and how, how long did it take you to sort of come to those conclusions then on, on, on that journey that you've, you've been on since since leaving school at 16? What kind of... Still sort of happening. There's been yeah. key moments. Uh, Yoast was a very key moment because he kind of... I say St. John blew open the doors of, um, uh, of, of of what gastronomy could be. Yoast blew open the doors of what, you know, food, you know, full stop could be. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, like this whole idea of waste, for me, I was, you know, another sort of brick in the wall. It was just like, uh, you know, waste is waste. You didn't question it. Mm. He came along and was like, waste is a human error. <laughs> waste is only waste if we 
don't have a solution for it you know and that's what waste is and, and you know it's so simple yeah it, it is so simple and then sort of it was his idea um i never want to be the one to take credit for a zero waste restaurant mm. well well i have made i've done it i've made it happen but it was Yost's idea he sort of said to me doug you know if we had a compost machine and if we only dealt with the source of everything that we needed i.e going to the farms for everything and um, then could we not have a bin and that was it. It was his simple idea that, that started this whole sort of movement. And that's, um, for those not familiar, um, it, it turning leftover food into compost, not buying products, as you say, um, that don't come from farms, that, that uh, not buying stuff that comes in plastic containers, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's different uh, parts of the food uh, process that um, that it's easier to highlight to sort of emphasize. Yeah, sure. Dairy is the dairy is the easy one because dairy always comes in sort of single use plastic Mm. or the butter wrapper foils. Um, It's never reusable, uh, sometimes partially recyclable. Um, So, so silo, what it does is it gets you know cream and milk in a pail from uh, Downsview Dairy, um, which is a beautiful farm about 20 minutes outside of Brighton. And uh, they deliver three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And they just bring the, the, the milk and cream in a pail. And yeah, it just comes in and with our milk, we make our own cheese, uh, we make our own yogurt. Um, and when, then with the, with the cream, we churn it to, to make butter. So it's, and it's, it's this direct trade, which I think that's a really nice way of highlighting how zero waste at Silo works. And then obviously the other key component is the compost machine. So if, I don't know, particularly with that dairy, if someone I don't know, didn't eat their butter, then it would go into the compost machine um, at the end of the meal. Um, yeah. And so obviously all of that natural waste gets, which is not a lot of butter, <laughs> um, <laughs> more so, you know, the waste coffee grind from the machine and uh, eggshells and uh, trimmings from vegetables and, and whatnot. Um, and then that particular compost um, goes back into, sounds a bit pretentious, but it goes back into nature. You know, it goes back into the cycle of life. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally, totally get that. And uh, I love the phrase, waste is a failure of the imagination. Uh, yeah. Where did that come from? Um, that, was, that, was, uh, that one was me. That one was, yeah. Awesome. Uh, um, I once wrote an article called Wasted. Um, so many, many moons ago, when I was in Australia, I was trying to, because um, uh, like, Yost had sort of uh, shown interest in me, and I was just like, really wanted to show him what I could do and my version of, uh, my inspired version of what he'd taught me. So I did a dinner concept, which, um, which was called Wasted uh, in Sydney in 2011. And then I did one in Melbourne and soon after, it was quite successful and it was just a dinner concept uh with the idea was to turn you know what would otherwise be waste into a beautiful tasting menu of food that like really creative and blah 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 anyway i did that and you know yoast um loved it and it did really really well um in fact the australian government um, I highlighted something to them. So there's this mar- market called Paddy's Market, and I highlighted something through this dinner that got loads of media attention. Um, that they actually changed their, 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 their the government changed the policy on waste because of this little pop up dinner. Wow! Um, it was something very boring and doesn't sound very dramatic when I say it, but yeah, nonetheless, they changed uh, their policy because of, of of this dinner. Anyway, years later. Um, when I was just come back to England, which is about five years ago from now, 
I wrote an article called Wasted, and it was based on, you know, looking back at those ideas that I'd sort of propagated. Um, and my dad was a was a writer and a poet. Anyway, and I, because I'm dyslexic, and I always used to get him to spell check and, you know, whatever, uh, sort my writing out. Um, because I had good ideas, I just didn't, you know, struggle to put it together. Yeah. Anyway, um the my dad said to me oh you know this article's got so much good stuff in it but it's just statement after statement after statement it doesn't really flow anyway he sort of uh, cut and paste a lot of these statements out of it and one of the statements he took out of it which never made the article was waste is a failure of the imagination um so it never actually made the article but no way (laughs) back into silo i don't remember when i re-said it in the beginning of silo uh, but it caught on and i think i remember i actually remember um thinking it and where it came from and this was again many many moons ago and i was i was um uh, learning about um well i was i was reading something about einstein um and he said again it's one of these things that people say that einstein said everything which i don't know if he did um but anyway one of the the sort of ideas that he was saying was like to not look at a problem as a problem if you kind of if you see that as like a challenge if you see the problem as a um an opportunity if you can sort of um look at it and analyze why it's a problem Mm. like i was yost like waste is only waste because we don't know what to do with it yeah it's kind of like looking at a a, a, i don't know a a waste plastic bag and thinking okay this is pretty low down on the value scale what but what qualities does this have (laughs) Uh, what could become of this yeah Uh, and I have a particular example of a plastic bag, but to to, to, to digress, it's it's this it's this way of looking at something. It's a it's a state of mind. It's uh, almost a philosophy. You know, it's um, to approach a problem and see it as a, an opportunity. Um, I think there's a lot in that. And uh, the, the 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 term that popped into my head was that waste is a failure of the imagination. Um, and that's sort of how it sort of came about. And yeah cool and and is there is there anything out there at the moment that shows which restaurants particularly like chains are practicing zero or, or even limited waste uh i think it's still um still very early days um i think i mean there are a lot of i'm trying to think um obviously there's a guy called dan barber in uh in upper state new york who has a restaurant called stone barns or blue hills at stone barns and he is certainly not zero waste um but they have a very sort of advanced holistic food system where they grow everything from farm to table um they have their own farm and that's definitely the most advanced sort of uh you know restaurant in the world for doing things around this but it's Mm. not still not zero waste i mean because the the key part of this is uh you know to be zero waste you almost have to you almost have to have something a solution like a compost machine on the site and you need to say no you need to uh, abstain from all single-use plastic yeah Uh, not just single-use plastic it's i mean I openly say that silo is not zero waste because we're still recycling glass. Um, so we, we want to use beautiful, like beautiful wine. Um, and, and we can't get that yet on tap. 
Right. So the the technology and the the, the the it's not just the technology, but like the um, the logistics, the transport routes, and for 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 reusable um, wine vessels is just not in place. The mm. infrastructure not there so i continue to recycle wine bottles and that's what silo recycles every week is wine bottles right uh, and to me they zero waste shouldn't be sort of single use anything mm. um, unless it's sorry unless it's completely biodegradable um then yeah there's no single use anything which so you know i'm very open about that and i think that it's kind of almost a positive to, to sort of highlight that because it'll put things on people's you know mind maps you know so it'll be more conscious more kind of you know pop up in people's heads more you know it's it's good to to, to challenge that and make people aware that that's the case you know it's this single use mm. um, means no, no zero waste and what um firstly made you choose brighton as a location and secondly do you think you've you've now proven that the the business model works or can work um and you, you can you can take it elsewhere you know what does wh- wh- where does that lead well i mean when i was um where i sort of cut my teeth <laughs> i was in london i spent all my years in london cooking away and my friends and my family are all here and when i came back from australia i was looking uh looking in london for for a site and um i uh, one day i went down to brighton to do a lecture and uh, never been to brighton uh, my dad was born in brighton okay. uh, but uh yeah i'd never been never ever um and uh i came down and um i immediately loved it immediately thought oh, this is a this is a very cool town like mm. very really loved it and um and anyway I, you know it just it didn't really occur to me even though i was looking for a restaurant but it didn't occur to me that you know this could be a great place anyway i had come back a couple of times to do these this, this series of lectures with this lady um at the university and um loved every every journey and it was middle of bloody december or no it was january and it wasn't exactly you know brian's peak yeah so i remember i remember loving it and it, it just sort of happened the last time i was there and i was leaving i walked um meandered through the north lane and found up a gardener street and you know it's not it's just a residential street it's not somewhere you typically dash down you know because of the excitement um <laughs> that, that i did somehow and i went down there and just saw this warehouse and um thought wow that is that is something else and I had a somewhat of a tingle uh, sort of sensation i thought oh there's something this building is very special i thought mm. that's perfect for for, for for this restaurant idea silo um absolutely perfect and so i knocked on the door and had this sort of conversation and then and i really started to think about brighton i was like wow this is this sort of makes a lot of sense so zero waste is completely reliant on uh direct trade and you know direct trade in brighton brighton's got an abundance of like organic agriculture surrounding it mm-hmm. obviously being next to the ocean being next to incredible um uh, the amount of great foraging around brighton is is just amazing um and yeah just mainly the organic agriculture is just such an amazing thing um and i thought well actually for silo this is perfect so this is actually the perfect city to do this um and so yeah the rest is history 
And where, where do you think you can you can take it? Um, London, obviously, being on the on the horizon, is that is that true? So I've been asked recently to do a um, to do some work with one of the world's best um, uh, drinks makers. He's called Ryan. He's a total genius uh, drinks maker, and he's based in in London. And he's got a whole number of projects on the go. And he's asked me to to cook at um, his restaurant Cub, which is like a three nights a week operation. Um, so as from sort of this week um, until uh, uh, you know uh, Christmas or whatever, I don't know when. Sort of an open-ended conversation. Um, I'm going to be doing three nights a week uh, at Cub, um, which is really nice because um, mixing his drinks and and the food that we do is just a very exciting prospect. Um, so that's sort of that's sort of happening. Awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, that's it, really. That's brilliant. What well, sounds like um, you've got loads uh, to get your teeth into, literally in, on, on the horizon, as well as with your yeah. hands full in, in Brighton, growing, what's, uh, what, three years in now, are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it feels to me like four plus, because it took me over a year to open Silo. Right. Um, it was pretty hard. I was only 26. Yeah. Uh, and I just had this big idea and no money and no sense. <laughs> so eventually got there, yeah. Um, but we're also um, just uh, got the green light on a on a on a book, um, which I'm so excited to do. Wow! Uh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be called the Silo Blueprint. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to start working on that and also doing a TED talk. So that are be- you? Oh wow! Okay, is that in Brighton as well? It's not. I mean, it was no. bizarrely asked uh, in Lithuania. Somebody wow, okay. me from Lithuania. Really strange. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we appreciate you um, doing the Virgin Talk last month uh, in Brighton in end of July as well. And um, love to keep in touch and, and see what else we've got on the horizon that we could uh, get involved with you. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much, Doug. Much appreciated and all the best. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye now. Really enjoyed speaking to Doug, somebody I I could listen to his story uh, for hours and on end and and having seen him um, speak live, present live in an event uh, and tell his story as well. um, It's well worth seeing him in person. Um, Number of different takeaways again for, for me. Love the fact that he's overcome so many obstacles in his life and for me it really uh, stands out is that you really can be anything or do anything that you want to do or be in this world you've just got to try don't take somebody's opinion as the life story for the rest of your life you know go out and do whatever you want which leads me on to the journey so what I took away from from Doug's story was very much it being a journey uh, and being part of the process. And he's still on that with, you know, looking to do the joint ventures in London, etc. But just going out on that journey, um, taking him to different continents, tracking down, you know, the top restaurateurs, um, which leads me then on to um, mentors. So if you haven't got a mentor, I strongly recommend you getting a mentor, somebody who's 
been and accomplished what you want to do or who you want to be. Um, there's no point choosing somebody who hasn't done what you want to be. So choosing that kind of a role model, somebody who can you can offer help and assistance in those areas is absolutely key. If you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. That's startupu with the letter U. From there, you'll be able to see what live events we've got coming up and book a ticket from as little as £5, which includes a complimentary drink and the opportunity to network with like-minded entrepreneurs. Hope to see you soon. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring or support, go to startupu.co.uk. And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great-looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screwitjustdoit to enter. Music